my um, opportunity now is just to share to you from Scripture. In the uh, letter we sent out on Friday, giving you an idea of the total of uh, the services that are taking place, I gave the title to this message called "Keeping Focused on the Things That Matter." With this pandemic and all that's taken place, I'm sure all our lives have been turned upside down. You know, our our anchor points have moved. The, the routines of life have just gone out the window. Whether it's lockdown or whether we're having to work from home or homeschooling, if you have children, our world has just changed around. And I thought I'd just bring a word to you from Haggai and um, see if we can just refocus again on the important things and find ourselves in preparation for what God is going to do when we move through the pandemic. God's doing a lot now, but we're believing for a real move of God when we can gather together and the church programs are able to do everything that we would like to do without the restrictions. So I'd like to read you some words from the book of Haggai. If you're looking for the book of Haggai in your Bible, if you go to Matthew and work towards the front, you'll bump into Haggai very soon. But if you start at Genesis, I think I'll be finished before you get there. So Haggai. Uh, Haggai was one of the, what they call the restoration prophets. He particularly was involved in ministry with Zechariah, um, they were working in tandem. They were coming to Israel at a very unique time. So let me read the first verse, and we'll use that as our springboard to our study this evening. In the second year, King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai um, to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest. That's where our story begins. It begins with Israel. They have been in exile. That's where we have the story of Daniel from. They've now returned to the land. Cyrus allowed them to return to the land. Darius was now the emperor of Persia, and he came to their rescue when opposition came. And so the scene is there. We have the children of Israel back in the land after the exile. They've made a start on building the temple for the Lord. They got the altar in place, but really work stopped. And it's into that scene that Haggai and Zechariah would come and would prophesy into this situation. It wasn't a good situation because not only were they not building the house of the Lord, they had turned their attention to building their own homes. In other words, their priorities were out of focus. And maybe that's why I was drawn to this portion, as we maybe just look at our priorities of where we are at this time. Well, the first verse sets us a scene. We have several characters. We have Darius, who was on the throne of the great Persian Empire. Then we have the Zerubbabel. He was like the governor or the viceroy. He wasn't the king. And Darius was the emperor. He was in charge, but he was sent there as the governor. I think it says in the end of the governor. And also there was Joshua is mentioned. Now, Joshua was not the Joshua of Jericho. It's another Joshua, and he was a high priest. So we have four characters mentioned. We have Darius, the emperor, who uh, had conquered the, the known world at that time. We have uh, Haggai, who was a prophet of God. We have the head of the civil part of the nation and the head of the spiritual part of the nation being present. That's Zerubbabel and Joshua. And it was to these two men, 
certain. But to these two men, that God sent Haggai with a message to give to the people. And it was basically a message, you've got things out of place, things need to change. So we have the civil and we have the religious leaders being summoned by Haggai, and he's sharing the word with them. The background is simple. An altar was built, but there was no temple. It was very important that the temple was built. It was a symbol of his earthly presence. It was a place of united worship. And more importantly, there were sacrifices to be made, and the temple and the sacrifices pointed forward to the Messiah. So this wasn't just a building exercise. It wasn't that uh, Jerusalem would have a, a nice monument. It had a spiritual significance that was vital, not only to the people of Haggai's day, but also in the world of prophecy for the coming of Messiah. Well, why was this important? Well, we're told in verse 14 that he would return and dwell with them. Now, we know that God inhabits the heavens and the earth. And so the thought of God being in a, one location in one way is strange. But God had chosen, as he did in the tabernacle, to presence himself in the temple. We're told it was the Shekinah glory of God would come down. The tremendous occasion, the dedication of Solomon's temple, when indeed God turned up in a most miraculous way. And not only would he return and dwell with them, but in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, my spirit remains among you. So here we have this idea that God wants to be back at the center of Judah, wants to be back at the center of the life of his people. But what's holding it back is their total disregard for the reason they were sent back. They weren't sent back that they might build their own houses. They were sent back to restore Israel to its spiritual place, and that included the temple. Now, we have a couple of insights into the prophetic ministry in these verses. First of all, we're told in that verse one that the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. It's interesting to note that the prophecy did not belong to Haggai. The prophecy, it says there, came through the prophet. The source of the prophecy was God. The conduit was Haggai, and the recipient was Zerubbabel and Joshua. And so these two truths are very important. If you feel you're involved in any way in the prophetic, and if you have a directional dimension to it, you've got to realize that all you are is, to use an old word, a channel. You're a conduit. It arrives from God. It goes through the prophet to the destination where it has to go. But, of course, the vital test of all prophecies is, is, is the word of the Lord came through the prophet. And that's the difficult bit, is making sure and ensuring that it is the word of the Lord that we are bringing. So we have that um, insight into the prophetic ministry. We also have another little insight into the prophetic ministry because a corresponding verse to this story is in Ezra, chapter 5 and verse 1. And we're told there, once again, Haggai was there and uh, the other prophet. It says there they, they rebuilt the house of God and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. And so this prophetic ministry of Haggai 
was not only just to deliver a message, but it tells us from Ezra, they got involved. It says the prophets of God were there helping them. Sometimes I've experienced, quote, prophetic ministry, and they've blown in, blown up, and blown out. Well, that wasn't the case of Haggai and Zechariah. They stayed around. They were involved in helping to fulfill the prophecy that they had brought from God. So as I say, the word of the Lord came through him. The source was the Lord. The conduit was Haggai, and the destination was Zerubbabel. Well, what was this word of the Lord that they were to receive? What was the word of the Lord? Well, first of all, they had been spending time on their own houses instead of the house of the Lord. And in verse 2, we've come across the excuse that they made for not doing God's work. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, that's the people of God. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. That must have been infuriating for the Lord, that they were deciding when his house would be built. Now, what made him even more upset was the fact that it was time to build their houses, but not time to build his house. And God then speaks to them about how, um, I nearly said cross he was with them, over this attitude, this arrogance that they could decide God's timing and God's will. They were sent back. They, they put the altar in. What, what, did, what did they expect? That God says, well, the altar will do. We'll worry about, no, no, no. It was an excuse. Um, and the, God's response is simple. It is time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains in ruin. So their excuse was, it's not the right time. Friends, if we wait for it to be the right time to do something for the Lord, we'll be waiting forever. The scripture tells us now is the day to be involved. Scripture warns us the night cometh when no man can work. And as our government and as we prepare for the lockdown to earn, don't be thinking to yourself, what can I get rid of? What, what can I hand over to other people? We need to be thinking now about how involved we're going to be. Now, please, no one has been doing their own homes in the house of the Lord. No, there's not a critical spirit towards anyone in this. But it can be that our focus can be distracted at this time. And so they said it's not time. God says it's time for you yourself to live in paneled houses. One commentator says that, God highlights the panelled houses because it was normally palaces that would be have a panelled house or panelled walls. And, and then he describes, he says, while this house remains in ruin, in verse 4. I asked myself the question, why did he not say, while well, my house remains in ruin? You see, it wasn't his house. God's house is never a ruin. God's house was a temple that was going to glorify him, that his presence could be manifest, where there would be a veil, there would be the Holy of Holies, the sacrifices would take place. No way was God going to say, you've worked on your houses while my house remains in ruin. He doesn't. He says, this house. And you know, friends, God takes ownership of our lives when we put things in order. You know, we think, well, Jesus loves me. Of course he does. But he loves you enough to bring order into your life and scripture that would help 
build you up? Well, there were going to be consequences for their mistake. They had decided when the time would be, didn't consult God. The prophet comes and says, okay, it's time for you to build your house, but not time to build my house. Well, while you've been doing that, I've been active. God didn't stand by and just rub his hands and say, oh dear, oh dear, what a mess. Um, there were consequences to this. He says, I've heard what you have said. Now this is what I say. They had their word. They said, oh, it's not time. God says, well, if that's what you think, I'm going to tell you what I've been involved in. And it comes to verse five. It says, now this is what the Lord says. And this phrase is repeated several times. Okay, repeated several times. He says here, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So he's going to outline now some judgments that have come upon them because of their lack of priorities. But he's gracious. He's merciful. He's saying in a moment he's going to outline the things that have happened to them because they have not fulfilled God's plan and rebuilt the temple. But he gives some grace and some mercy here. He says, give careful thought to your ways. In other words, it's not too late. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, I don't know you well. I know I'm getting to know some of you well when I've been coming down and in other situations. But listen, friends, let's give careful thought to our ways. Let's ensure the pandemic or not. Let's, let's not allow anything to be an excuse for us not walking close to the Lord and serving him. You say, well, you don't know what it's like. I, I don't know what it's like. Um, you know, what's it like to homeschool children? I don't know. I couldn't, that was such a stress for me. You wouldn't believe it. You know, I'm, you know, working from home. I don't think I, I I'm so wanting to get out and get involved in things. That's the way I am. I know there are pressures and there are struggles. Financially, some of you have hit some real challenges. But listen, don't give up serving the Lord. Don't stop building for him. Give careful thought to your ways. Although God was upset with them, although God was going to challenge their thinking, although God had sent a prophet to speak to them, he still came and said, there's a chance. I can't help but think of the letters to the churches in the Revelation, you know, where God came in and wrote a letter to them, telling them where they were strong and weak. And we know that for so many of them, weakness was the, the, the order of the day. But at least he told them what they should do. You know, buy of me, do this, do that, and redeem the situation. So please, give careful concern to your ways. I have to do it. Pastor Colin has to do it. We, we all have to give concern, a careful, um, pardon me, I'll read the verse, give careful thoughts to our ways. Every day we're challenged about our attitudes and our priorities. So please, this isn't judgmental. This is to encourage you. And then he gives them a list. He says, you've harvested little. You eat and you're always hungry. You drink and you're never full. Your clothes don't keep you warm. And as for your wages, it's like having holes in your wallet or your purse. And God has said to them, while you've been looking after your houses and neglecting mine, haven't you noticed something? Haven't you noticed there's a barrenness about your situation? You sow and harvest little, 
You eat that you're always hungry. You drink but you're never full. Your clothes are never warm. Your wages seem just to disappear, you know? You sit in your paneled houses. But what's the point of being in a paneled house if you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're cold, and you're broke? In other words, God was saying to them, you are missing out on the blessing of God because you have got your priorities wrong. Let me help you here, if I may. There is nothing wrong with having a nice home, nothing at all. You have the best home you can have, you can afford. You do that. That's not the issue. The issue isn't whether you have a panelled house or not. The issue is whether there is a balance in your life by building for God and building for yourself. Career is important, of course. Finances are important. A loaf of bread costs the same for me as for you. Listen, we cannot go around this. These are important issues. But the answer is not to ignore God's work. The answer is to be as involved in God's work as we are in our own situations. Okay. Verse 11, he says that he called the drought. So everything, so all the labor of your hands, um, because of you, heaven has withheld it. So he called a drought in this way. Now, that shows how serious it is. And you might say, well, Gordon, I'm going through some real challenges at the moment. Now, the, the, well, say the natural thing, not the spirit, the supernatural, the natural thing is, oh, we're going to blame the devil. But, you know, you're going through a bad time. Maybe you're cold, you're hungry, you know, you're broke, all these things. Before you blame the devil, just check out the priorities in your life. Check out the priorities. Have you got time for God? Have you got finance for God? Have you got um, time for people? Have you got finance for people? Are you, are you seeking to serve God? Now, for most of you listening, you are. You are. But if there's just one who's lost focus and has turned in instead of looking out, well, maybe this will be a very timely word for you. Okay. So why was God so upset? Well, it's, we're told very simply in verse 10 there why God was so upset. Um, it says there that in his house, he wanted to take, verse 8, pardon me, he wanted to take pleasure, go up to the mountains, bring down timber and build a house that I might take pleasure in it and be honoured. So the reason God was judging them, the reason God was sending the prophet was that he wanted this house built. Now, this wasn't some pride thing. God has no pride. When you're the Almighty, you can't have pride. You can only have pride if you're anywhere below the Almighty and you're daft enough, as Satan did, to think you could be, could be God. That was pride. But God has no pride because he is number one. He is the Almighty. So he says there, I want this house built that I might take pleasure in it. And that I that and, and in it I will be honored. So pleasure and honor are the two important words as to why God was doing this. You see, when God says, I want to take I, I've thought of this. What pleasure did God get out of the temple? 
Now, please, I come home and I thank God for my lovely home. I really do. I can come home to a lovely home and I can take pleasure in the garden. I can watch my TV. I've got some books, you know, family. I take pleasure in those things. But what did God take pleasure in in the temple? I think he took pleasure in it because he was at the center of his people. Also, it was a place of sacrifice, which would be leading the people towards Calvary and what Christ would do. So God says, listen, you are depriving me of pleasure. You're depriving me of a, a temple where I can dwell. I can be in the midst of my people. I can receive the sacrifices. I can prepare the nation for Messiah's coming. Then also he says in verse 8 there, um, I may take pleasure in it and be honoured. Now, this word honour is an important word for us. God deserves to be honoured. I once asked my father, and I've probably told you this before, if he was proud of me, and he said to me, he said, why, what have you done? And, you know, at that point, I hadn't done anything but just mess about. Now, had he been alive today, he may review, um, revise his opinion. I, I, I'd, I'd like to hope so. But, you know, God deserves honour. The Bible says, you know, if I am your God, I am your father to Israel, where is my honour? So honour is important, that we honour God. We give him his rightful place. Earlier in the service, several times, the, 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 the team, and what a great team there is at KT, you know, have called me Pastor Gordon. Well, I, I'm, I'm not your pastor, you know, you have pastors. But they were honouring me, and I didn't ask for it, and I don't need it, and I don't want it. All I ever need is a cup of tea. That's all I ever ask, you know. But they honoured me, and it was kind of them, and it was courteous of them. But God says, I want honour. I want there to be a house where I... You're living in your houses. Where is mine? If I want to visit you, I know where you live, but where do people go if they want to visit me? No temple, only an altar. You see... The Christian life is more than just an altar. We thank God for Calvary, but Calvary is the beginning of the journey. The most important place occasion on the history of the human race was Calvary in that way. So that's why God was so keen to have this building built so that he could take pleasure in it and they could indeed build on it. Well, how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to get out of this situation? Well, very simply, in verse 8 again, he tells them what to do. He says in verse 8, um, go up to the mountains and bring down timber, timber and build the house. So the solution was they were going to have to do something. Oh, they'd been and got the wood for their own houses, their paneled walls. Oh, yeah, they could manage to do that. Now, God says to them, if you want this situation reversed, if you want to know my blessing, You've got to go up, go up. And I just put next to that, there's got to be some action. You know, if things don't change, they'll stay as they are. If you feel that your priorities have gone out of all sync and maybe God's priorities are not your priorities, listen, go up. Uh, one very old commentary I've got talks about Mount Calvary. Well, I know what they mean. We go up, first of all, to Calvary, where the answer to everything is. Maybe there's got to be a place of repentance and asking God forgiveness. Maybe it's Mount Calvary before we go 
any further. We go to the cross first, and then we can go and get wood. But they had to have, there had to be some action and effort. Don't sit about thinking, well, if God wants me different, you know, he'll change me. Listen, he might change, but he might, he might bring some famine. He might bring some holes in your purse. He might bring a, a hunger, not hopefully in the natural, but certainly in the spiritual. And then it says they'd go up and bring down timber. You see, they had to go, which was action, but there had to be an effort. No one's ever said to you, and if they have, they, let me be gracious, if they did, they didn't mean it, they, got, they were mistaken. No one ever said that the Christian life wasn't going to require effort. If we're going to get our priorities aligned with God, we've got to fight the flesh. The greatest enemy of Gordon Neal's spiritual life is not the demonic, it's Gordon Neal. I can wreck my Christian life all on my own. I don't need any demons' help. So I've got to keep focused and keep disciplined. So it was go up, which required action. Bring down timber, which required effort. And then it said build the house. They had to have that purpose and that plan. Well, you've listened well, and time is moving on. I'm very conscious of time. I don't want to take over. And then what was the goal of all of this, this building, is that God would take pleasure and be honoured. When the temple was finished, the dedication of the temple would come. God's presence would be there. As I say, and we think about that in Solomon, what an amazing time that was when the temple, Solomon's temple, was dedicated. So where are you in this story? Well, you're not Darius and you're not Zerubbabel and you're not Joshua and you're not Haggai. You're like me. We're the people of God. You know, are we giving careful thought to our ways? I always like to try and link an Old Testament story with a New Testament verse, just so we know there is a flow throughout Scripture. And the one that I thought fitted this prophecy the most was Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What a tremendous verse. It's all the priorities, getting things in line. Now, most of the things we're talking about are not unrighteous. It's just we've got them in the wrong order. The world talk about getting all the ducks in a row. Well, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe we need to just sit down and ask the Lord, Lord, have I got things out of sync here in that way? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I think that was the same thing God is saying to Judah through the prophet Haggai. Get things sorted out. Get things put in their rightful place. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, that was addressed to a nation. The nation had to do that. But, you know, as a church, we must give careful thought to our ways. We're very soon going to be opening the doors and our numbers will be increasing, increasing. Some of us have maybe thought to ourselves, I'm not sure I want to go back to church. Please, don't say that. You know, give careful thought to your ways. It says, neglect not the assembling of yourselves together. Fellowship is important. It says, give careful thought to your ways, not to someone else. You know, in school, when a child is caught talking in class, 
it always amazes me that one child gets told off, but you need somebody to talk to, don't you? So, you know, we can sometimes say, well, well I'm, I'm better than them. Please, there's no skill in finding someone better than you. There's always somebody worse than you, pardon me, but you need to improve and be better. Secondly, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know, Paul says, that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know? Um, and are we building our lives in a way that God's presence can come? Does the life of Gordon Neal bring pleasure to God and honor to him? Do I honor him? Is he, does he find pleasure in, in seeing, hopefully, the fruits of the Spirit occasionally manifested through me? Please, the pandemic will not stop us building the church. Pastor Connie and the team are committed, and I am amazed at the commitment that has gone into this. They are committed to seeing the church through this pandemic. And you know why? Because we want to have the biggest or the best or the shiniest church in London? No. We want to build a church and come through this so that God will get, find pleasure in us and God will be 